we are in the 11th week of our series called Permission to be Real here at Cornerstone. And everything we do at Cornerstone is designed to do this, to inspire and equip you to follow Jesus wholeheartedly because we know that following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. Some of you will be watching on demand, and I want to welcome you who are listening by podcast or watching on our website. Uh, Also, some will be watching online because we broadcast messages on Sunday morning. So welcome to those of you who are watching in that way. And of course, welcome to those of you who are here in person. Whether Wherever you are watching, if you have not let us know who you are, we would love to be able to welcome you personally and stay in touch with you. And one of the best ways that you can do that is by texting our church number, 603-225-2550, if you just write the word new there. And if you bring somebody that's new or you know somebody that's new, encourage them to do that because that's how we keep in touch with people. So texting the word new to our church number. In, uh, as we get started for today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 40, and Psalm 40 is a very famous fa- psalm in part because it is referenced in the book of Hebrews. So Laura Maynard has offered to read the passage in Hebrews. So to kind of set the stage for this psalm, she's going to come on up and read this passage from Hebrews. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 14, and she'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Good morning, everyone. Okay, Christ's sacrifice once for all. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again, and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have stopped, would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once and for all, their time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, Those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with birth offerings and other offerings for sin or other offerings and sin. Then I said, look, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I've come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God 
as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Thanks be to God. Very good. Thank you. So that was a good example of what we've been talking about from time to time about the Bible, the scriptures being meditation literature. What you're actually watching is the author of Hebrews meditating on and thinking through the implications of this psalm that we're going to look at today. This psalm, Psalm 40, is a psalm of reversal. So that's what today's title is. That's what today's topic is. We are going to be talking about reversal. Now, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture is this one in 2 Corinthians 5.17. New Living Translation puts it this way. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. What is that saying? That's saying that the gospel message, the good news about Jesus Christ, who he is, what he did, and what it means for us, when it is received, when it is applied to our lives, gives us a fresh start, allows for U-turns, makes for the possibility of writing a new end to your story reversal is possible in the gospel. So the question that we're asking today is, how can I turn things around? And the answer to that is, you can't. So let's pray and go home. Heavenly Father, no, the, the, the question asks, how can I turn things around? Have you ever felt powerless? Have you ever felt like you really wish you could make somebody that you love do the right thing and make a wise choice? And (laughs) yes, I see that hand. And uh, all of those things, we really like to be in control. But there are just some things that we can't be in control. And, And we have the best heart in it. We want what's best for a person. We would love to see things change for others. Sometimes it's our own lives where we want to see circumstances change or relationships change. Or, and we want to see a turnaround. We want to see a reversal. We want things going in one direction to end up going the other direction. And that's what this psalm is all about. So while the answer to this question, how can I turn things around, is you can't, I know a guy. I know somebody who can And that's what we will see today. So we're talking about reversal today. And what we're going to say and what we see in this psalm is that the Lord can turn things around when you can't. Isn't that good news? Isn't that encouraging? For those of you who like to be in control and your first instinct is to do something, but doing something doesn't always work, isn't it nice to know that sometimes the advice that you could and should take is don't just do something, stand there. Because the Lord can turn things around when you can't. And this psalm is a celebration of 
that fact. Now, what we're going to see, uh, the, the observations and meditations on this psalm that I'm going to lead you through today are actually three prompts that I'm going to pull from the psalm. They're prompts to a certain kind of response. And so the practical step that I'm going to encourage you to take is as we talk through these prompts at the end to choose a prompt that you want to act on, to choose a prompt that you want to act on this week. And that'll make more sense as you see what the prompts are. So let's look at it together. This is Psalm 40. Here's what it says. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given a new song. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or those who worship idols. Oh, Lord, my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Then I said, look, I have come, as is written in, about me in the scriptures. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. I have told all your people about your justice. I have not been afraid to speak out, as you, O Lord, well know. I have not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I have talked about your faithfulness and saving power. I have told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles surround me, too many to count. My sins pile up so high, I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I have lost all courage. Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who take delight in my trouble be turned back in disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame, for they said, aha, we've got him now. But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, the Lord is great. As for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my savior. Oh my God, do not delay. Would you pray with me? Lord, what a powerful psalm, and 
what great truths and what encouragement and uh, I think it reveals some of your heart to us and for that I'm grateful. Lord, when I mentioned reversals, there's probably something that came to mind for every person listening, watching, every person who's here today. And Lord, I believe that you have good plans in store for us that you want to help rescue, redeem, restore. So I pray, Lord, that through what we do today, you will do that in our lives, that each person here will hear directly from you. Each person will see in the scriptures themselves and that we will each know exactly what you would have us to do with what we hear today. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's look at it together. Uh, in Psalm 40, again, the bottom line is that the Lord can turn things around when you can't. And remember I said there were three prompts that we're going to look at. The first one that I see is a prompt to recognize the Lord's work. Here's how it is in your notes. When he rescues you, recognize it. When he rescues you, recognize it. I was having a conversation with somebody earlier this week and about the things that she was concerned about and things that she was uh, praying about, things that she might be worried about. And we talked about how when you look back over a history of how the Lord has provided in our family and for this person, then you get encouraged because you see that, there's, that God has been active. And that's one of the reasons why I encourage myself and others to write down their prayer requests because so you remember and to pay attention when you pray. When you pray, pay attention to what happens next because so often God does answer prayers. He wants to answer prayers. He's eager to answer prayers. So the first thing that we see the psalmist doing in this passage is recognizing the Lord's faithfulness and goodness that he has rescued him before. Let's look at it together, beginning at verse one. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And isn't that one of the hardest things to do sometimes? Because our default, especially in our culture, is to act, to do something. But sometimes it's just a matter of waiting for the Lord's timing because he will act, but he acts in his own timing. So that's the testimony of the psalmist. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And what was the result of that? Well, and he turned to me and heard my cry. When somebody calls out to you, when you hear your name called, what's your instinctive reaction? It's to look. It's to turn towards the person who is speaking to you. That's a symbol of your paying attention, of your giving your attention to that person. And this is what the psalmist is saying. I cried out and he turned to me. He gave me his attention. And it also says he heard my cry. And over and over again, I've been reminding you because we see it so often when you hear listening or hearing, that's not just a matter of sound waves bouncing into eardrums. It means actually taking it in and doing something with it. When it says that the Lord heard my cry, it means he did something about it. He heard and he did. So what did he do? Well, he reversed the psalmist's 
circumstances. And that is his testimony that he goes on to give in verse 2. He, God, lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. And this is this famous verse that you've heard me mention before, where in Hebrew, when you want to emphasize something, you say it twice. So the literal translation of this would be, he lifted me out of the pit pit. Now, this isn't just a pit. This is a pit pit. As uh, some translations say, a miry pit. This one says the pit of despair. It is a pit pit. That's why it's so significant when in Revelation, the angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy. Three times, not just two, is the Lord God Almighty. He's holy, holy, holy. That's what he's like. And this is a pit pit. He, I was in a pit. I was in despair. I was mired. I was stuck. But he reversed my circumstances. He reached down out of heaven, pulled me out. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. Have you ever felt like you were just sinking and you didn't know where to turn and you weren't in control? And he says, this is what the Lord will do. He will turn that around. He will reach down out of heaven and pull you out of that miry pit pit and put you on ground that is solid, solid and steady, steady. That's what he will do for you. So let's recognize it. That I think is the prompt and the lesson of this first part is that <coughs> the psalmist sees what's going on and he recognizes this just wasn't happenstance. This just wasn't a coincidence that I cried out to the Lord and he answered me. He actually did something about it. So that's the first prompt. When you see something good, when you see something good that's happened, when you recognize that a prayer has been answered and a difficulty has been escaped, recognize that the Lord is the source of that and then give him the credit because the Lord can turn things around when you can't. And when he does, you have been given a story to tell. You now have a new testimony, a new record of God's faithfulness. And the next thing that we see happening in this psalm is he recognizes the source of his salvation, of his rescue, and then he tells others about it. So here's the second prompt. If he, the Lord, has given you a story, tell it. Tell it. I remember early on in my adult Christian walk, as I became more and more serious about it and internalized my faith, I had stories to tell, but when I was talking to people who didn't necessarily share my convictions or my faith or my perspective, I was always afraid and I kind of held back because I didn't want to offend. I didn't know how people would respond to it. And eventually, as I took some initiative and as I stepped out uh, with a little bit of boldness and just talked about my life the way I understood it and would in any other company, what I found was all the things that I was afraid about, those responses never happened. And it actually was a good thing to just tell the stories and be honest, authentic, transparent, 
and just understand, uh, just explain it in the way that I understood it. So when God gives you a story, there are probably reasons why you don't tell that story. You, you don't want to sound like you're bragging. You don't want to offend, but sometimes you just got to get a story out there, and that's the right thing to do. I see this in the psalmist when in the next verse, he says, he, the Lord, has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. What he's saying is because I was mired in that pit and now I've been pulled out and placed on solid ground, I have a new story to tell. And so I'm going to sing it. He's a psalmist, so he puts it into a song. He sings, God has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. And so he's going to tell it. And in fact, I think that's what's happening next is he's going to introduce, he's introducing the song that he has written. But look first at what the implications or the effect of this is going to be. When I tell this story, when I sing this song, here's what I expect to happen. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. One of the reasons why it's important for us to tell our stories and just be open and authentic with others is that when people hear the stories, God gets the credit and it catalyzes faith in others. When I hear what God has done for others in providing for them, in speaking to them, in rescuing them and redeeming them, then that gives me hope and encouragement because I think, well, maybe that can happen to me as well. So that's one of the benefits of when you have a story, telling that story, because God gets the credit. Many will see what he has done and be amazed, and it prompts faith in others. They will put their trust in the Lord. And so now, having introduced the theme of reversal and told his story, he's now going to give you, I think, the song. It starts in verse 4, Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord. That's how it's introduced. And he goes on to say, he goes on to describe what they're like, who have no confidence in the proud, who do not worship idols. And then I like this because uh, it tells you how he overcomes every aspect of difficulty and trial that he has uh, faced. It says, Lord, you've performed many wonders for us. What's that? That's looking backwards, saying, when I look backwards, I see all the things that you have done for us. You've performed many wonders for us. That encourages me. That, that prompts faith in me. But what about the future? Then he says, your plans for us are too numerous to list. In other words, you've been faithful in the past and now you've got plans for us in the future and they are good plans and you're thinking about and strategizing and planning us. You're shepherding us into the future. Sometimes the future is scary. We don't know what the future holds, but there is someone who holds the future as the old cliche says, and you belong to him. So perform many wonders in the past. Plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I were to recite all your wonderful deeds, I could never come to the end of them. This is his song. This is his story, and he's telling his story. But then it goes into the second verse of this song, 
and the theme shifts a little bit. He's always talking about reversal, that the Lord can turn things around when you can't. But now he's emphasizing the fact that when the Lord speaks, you should act on it. When the Lord speaks, you should act on it. There are different prompts along the way. You cannot affect your own redemption and rescue, but there are certain things that will happen that should prompt certain actions. And when the Lord does speak to you, when he gives you instruction or direction or a principle to follow, you act on it. And that's what this second verse of the song within the psalm talks about. It begins at verse 6, where it says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Now, when this was written long ago in ancient Israel, that would have been an eyebrows, eyebrow-raising statement. Why? Because sacrifices and offerings were prescribed by God, that was, the, that, that was their central outward act of worship was bringing and offering sacrifices. And so the psalmist to say, uh, God's not really interested in that. It's like, what? Did, did you read your Bible? You know, that, that God's pretty interested in it, actually. He's got a lot of instructions, a lot of, but what is going on here? He goes on to say, but my ears you have opened uh, literally, you've bored ears. It's like I didn't even have ears and you gave them to me. And again, listening and hearing is not just sound waves, it's obedience. So he's already hinting at what God really wants. And then because this is a three-part line, there's another another point there. And remember, we've talked, I think, before about chiasms, how it kind of steps up and steps down. This is a little mini one. Theme A, theme B, theme A again. It goes back. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Again, just kind of a head-scratching statement for an Old Testament saint to make. But you see that hint of what he's getting at. My ears you have opened. And then he goes on to say, then I said, here am I. I have come. When you would worship in Old Testament times, you would go to the temple and what would you do? You would bring along the sacrificial offering. You wouldn't go empty-handed. You would bring the sacrificial offering. Here, the psalmist is saying, I'm not coming to the temple with a sacrifice in tow. I'm showing up here I have come. And then this interesting phrase, it's written in me, uh, it is written about me in the scroll. I've switched over to the NIV here because I think it's a little bit more, um, because there were just aspects of it I wanted to pull out from the NIV. But what is he saying there? Now, we read Hebrews 10, so we, we're already thinking about Jesus, but just kind of pull back from that to the original context. And he's saying, you know, I'm not so much interested in sacrifice and offering, but, but, I'm, but, I, but I hear your voice, and I'm coming, and what am I doing? I'm offering myself as a 
living sacrifice, perhaps. And what it, it's written about me in the scroll. What does that mean? Some have suggested that um, it's talking about maybe he wrote his psalm down on a, on a scroll. He, and that's what he's bringing to the, the, the temple. And he's going to read the scroll or tell others about it. And telling others about it is a big part of what this psalm is about. Uh, but then it goes on, and this is the parallel, and it says, I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. In other words, I, 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 don't, even, I don't even need a scroll because you write your law in my heart. Here's what I think might be going on. I could be wrong about this, but when I try to put myself in the original context, here I am, I've come I have come, I'm offering myself instead of a sacrifice. It's written about me in the scroll, in the New Living Translation, it says in the scriptures. It's kind of like, you know, here's the Bible. This is the story of my life. This, the, you, you want to read about me? Here it is. And I consume this and I internalize it and I live it out. When you read the Bible, you're reading about me because that's how obedient I want to be. You know, you know that's, it's like this book, this book, it's, it's about me because that's, that's how much I've internalized it. That's how much I'm living it out. The, the, it's written about me in the scroll. Maybe that's what he's saying. We're not, we're not quite exactly sure, but I think that it fits with the parallel next verse that we just looked at. He's saying, I've come I desire to do your will. It's written about me in the scroll, and the scroll is written in me. It's all about doing what the Lord wants us to do. So maybe that's the original context and original understanding. And then he's saying, remember the theme, the prompt was, God has rescued me, so I recognize that it's him. He's given me a story to tell, so I'm going to tell it. Here's the psalm I wrote. Here's the song I wrote all about that. This is what I'm going to proclaim. Maybe that school is the song, and he's come to the temple to just tell everybody in the congregation what God has done, and that's what he describes in the next part. Now, the next part is kind of a transition because the psalm is actually in two parts. There's the story of God's saving work and his response to it, but then there's a prayer because the needs have not ended and new needs have arisen. So this is that hinge point, that transition between the two. He says, I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. He showed up at the temple. He didn't bring an offering. He offers himself. He's got the story of God's faithfulness and goodness, and he is wanting to embody it. And so he's telling everybody who's gathered about God's saving works. He says, I didn't hold back. I didn't seal my lips. I didn't zip it and keep it quiet. As you well know, Lord, I was telling everyone. And so he's presenting the saving works of God in the past, but he's got in mind the salvation that he needs right now, the difficulty, the trials that he's facing, and this is where he shifts. He says, I haven't held back 
in telling your saving works and your goodness. So, Lord, I got a request. Don't hold back on me either. I need you. It goes on to say, Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. It's like you've been faithful in the past. I'll tell everybody about it. I need help right now. Please don't hold back on me. And then he goes on to describe what's going on. Basically, I'm surrounded. Troubles surround me. And I'm going to read to you some of what he describes there. Because I love this because, okay, beginning of verse 12. Um, you will see the theme of reversal and you'll see the kind of troubles they have. Troubles surround me, too many to count. So there are external things going on. Troubles surrounding me. So I got problems with other people. I got problems with circumstances. They're not being good to me. Then he says, my sins pile up so high, I can't see my way out. In other words, it'd be bad enough if I was just facing problems out there. But I'm shooting myself in the foot, too. I keep messing up, and now those sins are piled so high around me, I can't even see a way out. Others are against me. I'm shooting myself in the foot. But then there's also an internal struggle going on. Uh, he says, the sins pile up so high, I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. No comments. I have lost all courage. I've lost all courage. There's an inward battle going on too. I've lost heart. You know, it'd be bad enough if I just had external enemies. It would be bad enough if I wasn't constantly tripping over my own feet, but now I, I don't even have the strength to go on. Sometimes that's the worst, right? I mean, you can, you can be facing down all kinds of difficulties, but as long as you have hope, as long as you have courage, you can keep pressing through. But it doesn't matter if it's just a molehill in front of you. If you have lost hope, it's hard to put one foot in front of the other. And this psalmist is saying, I got all of the above. <laughs> all of the above. And so he cries out, please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. And just like he recounted his own transformation and reversal from the miry pit to solid ground, he's now going to pray the opposite kind of movement for his enemies and trials and difficulties. Look at what he goes on to say. And it's, now that you know the theme of reversal, you'll see it in each line. Come quickly and help me. Here's what I want you to do, Lord. Flip that reversal switch on these people. May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. They have power over me right now, but I want them to lose that power. May those who take delight in my trouble, they're laughing, they're having a great time watching me fail. Let them be the ones who are turned back in disgrace. And there are people that are mocking me saying, aha, we've got him now, we're celebrating his downfall. Let them be horrified by their own shame. 
It's like, God, you're the God of reversal. I like to see a little reversal going on in, in, in these situations out there. That's a little bit of that imprecatory psalm kind of seeping in there. But in contrast, he goes on to say, okay, those, those are the enemies. Those are the ones that are opposing me. Those are the ones that are opposing you, Lord. Let's turn things around. But in contrast, what about, the, what about others? What about people like me who are searching for you with their whole heart? Let them be filled with joy and gladness in you. Reversal for them, reversal for us as well. And then he speaks autobiographically and personally, first person. As for me, since I am poor and needy, may the Lord be mindful of me. Um, now, poor and needy doesn't mean that he was necessarily fin financially poor. It's a, it's a statement about his own power and strength as compared to the Lord. That's why I say, how can I things turn, turn things around? No, I can't. And what he do, does is he recognizes, I'm poor and needy. I don't have the power I wish I did. I don't have the power that, and control that I sometimes think I do. But as I come to you, Lord, I am recognizing my status before you compared to you. I recognize I am poor and needy. And so he asks, may the Lord be mindful of me. Just kind of keep me in mind, Lord. You know, when, when you're mindful of someone, you're thinking about them, you're praying for them, you're, you're maybe strategizing how you can help, or you're, you're, you're concerned. If they are out of sight, out of mind, then none of that stuff is going on. And so the psalmist is saying, Lord, keep me in mind, because I know if I'm in your mind, you're going to act on my behalf. And then he states, you are my helper and my Savior, oh my God, do not delay. Do not delay. Now, as we saw in Hebrews 10, this psalm from the earliest days of Christian faith made people think of Jesus. And we shouldn't be surprised by that because in the Paradigm series we heard that Jesus is the point of the Bible, right? The point of the Bible is to point people to Jesus. That the Bible is messianic literature was one of the pillars. The Bible is the story of God's setting things right through his son. And the Bible is both human and divine. I talked you through that passage, what maybe the psalmist, when he was writing it, was thinking, but... There's a divine element in that as well. And the story of Jesus is told in this psalm. Look at it from that perspective as we revisit those verses again. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Jesus came offering himself and putting an end to the sacrifices. My ears you have opened. In other words, I'm obeying. I'm listening and obeying. Our statement of faith is that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died a death he did not deserve so that we could receive life that we could never earn. So when it says, 
the, the, the offerings, they, ha- they serve their point, but the ultimate offering is being made in Jesus. Jesus comes, and he, unlike anyone else, could, lives a perfect life because of who he is, both human and divine. And then it says, burnt offerings and sin offerings you didn't require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. And the earliest Christians, and from that point on, have heard the voice of Jesus in that. It's written about me in the scroll. The point of the Bible is to point people to Jesus. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is written in my heart. The reason that Jesus could obey so completely was because he, had, he, he was God in the flesh and it was internal to him. It wasn't external. It wasn't something that was forced upon him. It, he spoke obedience fluently as a first language. And then in fulfillment of all kinds of prophecies, the Holy Spirit is shared with us, his Jesus body and the congregation of God. And now he writes his law in our hearts and we share in that blessing. That's why I will always encourage people to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to his forgiveness what he purchased for us on the cross, to say yes to his leadership and lordship. He wants to write his law in your heart. And when you say yes to him, he will do all of that. If we would love to be able to celebrate that decision, resource you for your new life in Christ, you can let us know if that's you committing your life to Jesus by texting the word yes to our church number, 603-225-2550. And then what happens? You see 2 Corinthians 5.17 spring to life in your life. Anyone, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. A reversal has taken place. The old, all the old trouble, all the old desires, all the old sins, all the old guilt are gone and he has replaced it with new life, new power, new desires and writes a new ending to your story. This is what we're talking about when we say reversal. The Lord can turn things around when you can't. And now for the practical next steps, what do you do with that? Look over those prompts the main points of this message. See what they are supposed to prompt and then decide for yourself. You know, I think if I were to think about it, if I were to ask the Lord what I should do, where am I in all of this, this is probably the one that's most applicable to me. And then there's a space under that in the challenge in your growth guide where you can write something down in response to that. Maybe you have experience many good things but you've never recognized that it's the Lord who is at work in all of those things and it's time to acknowledge him maybe 
you've been holding back instead of telling your story. And it's time to be more open and honest and authentic and transparent and bold about your story. And maybe you just need to act on what you're already hearing. Hear from the Lord and act. So think about it. Pray about it. Write something down. And then we'll be able to talk about it in our discussion groups right now with the end of the prayer. So I'm going to pray, and then you can break up into your discussion groups, and we'll go from there. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are speaking, that you spoke through the psalmist so long ago, that, that those words we hear in Jesus' mouth in Hebrews 10, because they speak so eloquently of the gospel, and we can hear from you now because you are living and active and present by your Holy Spirit. So speak, we pray. Give each person clarity about what they're supposed to hear and what they're supposed to do with what they have heard. And then give each of us the courage, boldness, and strength to act on what we have heard. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Try to break me, try